episode 20, Alexander the Great Podcast. How's it going, lads and lasses? Oh, man, I hope you enjoy this podcast, and I hope you enjoy this episode I've made for you. Please write a review on iTunes, send me a message through Instagram. Uh, what else do I do? Oh, yeah, on Spotify, they've added this Q&A thing. Please add a comment, and I will, if I know the answer, I'll gladly reply if you ask something. Um, let me know what you think. Please donate through my page. I'll have a link in the description. Hope you enjoy it. And uh, write a review, and if I read it at the end of the podcast, I will send you a gift all the way from Greece. I'll see you later, guys. Bye-bye. After the Battle of Geronia, Philip ordered a temple to be built, to us known as the Filippio. It was a large circular building. Its outside had 18 pillars of Ionic order and on its inside nine pillars of Doric order. Ionic order are pillars that have circular design at the end of it and Doric order pillars are end with a uh, simple straightforward line. There's a link in the description. The first link should point you to a picture that will help you understand what I'm describing. The Filippio would house statues of Philip in the center on his right would be Amidas and Evridiki, his pops and his mom. On his left, Alexander and Olibiada, Alex's mom as we know, who are going through a rough patch. You would think building a statue that would be talked for the next 2,000 years would soften up a bit, but no, <laughs> more on that later. But the most important thing is that in this case, we have Philip showing once again that Alexander is the one and only rightful heir to the throne. The temple was going to be built in Olibia, in a sacred land called Temenos, from the Greek word temno, meaning to cut, in ancient Greek, we don't use it today in that, in that way. This, was part of la this part of land was uh, cut off and it was meant only for statues of gods and heroes, and the material they used was gold and ivory. Most historians are saying it was probably made from simple marble. Recent observations of the base of the statues point to that. The golden ivory information came from Pafsanias, who wrote in the 2nd century AD, which probably means he never actually saw the statue and simply based his writings on rumours. The building itself was circular in shape, as I've said, making it unique in Olibia. So you know everyone was looking at it. And it was designed by the top architect of the time, Leocharis the Athenian. In Olibia, the Olympic Games also took place, and quite a few people traveled there, so many people would see it and know that from now on, they are in the age of Macedon. If Philip ordered this to be built, either to thank Zeus for his victory in Geronia, or if he wanted to be seen as God, like Pafsanias would want us to believe, even though no other source mentions this, or to show how far Macedonian influence has gone within Greece, I will let you decide. For one to consider themselves as God is a great insult in ancient Greece. It was alright if you died, then the people who admired you turned you into a God. This was perfectly fine as was done with Lysandros of Sparta. He was a protagonist of the Peloponnesian War, one of the few guys to beat the Athenians in a naval battle, the naval battle at the Oropotamus, which translates to the, uh, the uh, Goat River. The Samians worshipped him like a god. They even made sacrifices in his name. They had a day devoted to him, the whole thing. 
In Paros, they worship the very own Archilochos, a poet of the 7th century BC. He had his own temple, the Archilochio. So Philip isn't trying something new, if this is what he's trying. This is something that Alexander is also going to have in his mind. Is it possible that he could be worshipped as a god while he was still alive? We're going to talk about that when we get there, and hopefully within this year. Um, it was around this time, so while the Philippi was being built, that Alexander was in Athens, as we said last time. There's a nice story given to us by Plutarch in his uh, book on ethics, I should mention. The Athenians knew that Alexander thought, thought of himself to be quite the runner. So someone decides to suggest to Alex that he should go against someone who has competed in the Olympics, a proper Olympian to see how the young heir to the Macedonian throne will do. So the race starts, and Alexander flies past the Olympian. (laughs) He uh, He could tell that his opposition was holding back. This pissed him off, and that's when he made his famous quote, I would compete in the Olympics, but only if I was to compete against other kings. He also talked with Xenocrates, head of Plato's Academy after Spepsipos, This guy is probably the reason Aristotle started his own Lyceum. He was the first non-Athenian to become head of the academy. He thought, if it's not happening now, then fuck it, I might as well do my own thing. And um, Xenocrates became well known for his impeccable ethics. He wasn't always like that. His life was radically altered after he enrolled in the academy. Up until the age of 30, he was known for being particularly wasteful with his monies. He managed to turn his life around to such an extent that the Athenians were very proud of the old chap. He even turned down two of the greatest escorts of that time, Phrini and Laiva. I mean, which sounds slightly excessive. I mean, learn to live a little. You know, you went from one end of the spectrum to the other. But anyway, well, <laughs> Alexander went to this guy to chat about which is the best way to form laws and go about ruling through kingship. Having finished with the League of Corinth, Philip returns to Pella. Most people, including myself, would say, all right, Philip, you know, you've accomplished the impossible. You have created for the first time ever a united Greek nation. You know, think, think about what that entails, right? He has tamed Greek militancy. He has convinced them to forget about their manic xenophobia. You know, don't fuck it up. Go home, have some lovely wine, grab a couple of twinks, you know, whatever you usually do. You know, go to town on that shit. But, I mean, just don't create hostile emotions against you. But no, Philip doesn't do that. He met this young lass called Cleopatra. And when I say young, you know, I mean really young for Philip. Philip is about 45 years old here, and Cleopatra is about 16 to 19, somewhere around there. The ancients didn't really care about what year she was born, so we're not 100% sure. Um, Philip, we're not 100% sure about her age, obviously. Philip is also going to change her name to Evridiki. Um, Evridiki, it's in Greek. In English, it's Yuri, Yuridiki. I mean, I don't know how you'd say Evridiki, anyway. Uh, after his mummy. It's going to be Philip's seventh marriage. It's been a decade, so you might think that Philip was, you know, getting bored and thought, why not? But the sources say that it was his first marriage that was out of love. Previous marriages were more for military and diplomacy reasons. 
Cleopatra was a girl that had lost her father and brother, probably at war, and was adopted by Attalus as a niece. And Attalus, Attalus, Attalus was a noble Macedonian. He was well known and loved, and he was also general in the Macedonian army. This whole thing created tension in the relationship between Philip and Olibiada. She is starting to truly despise him. Hot-tempered and jealous, according to Plutarch. Never misses a chance to put him down in front of his son. Alexander's behavior also, should be noted, after the Battle of Heronia, has started telling everyone that uh, he started telling everyone that it was his victory and that Philip would have never been able to win if it wasn't for him and the Macedonians were already calling him king of Macedon and Philip their general. So the wedding of Philip and Cleopatra anyway went down. Everyone took lovely pictures, posted them on Instagram, got millions, billions of likes and Alexander even made a public comment after the wedding was finished <laughs> that our sources mentioned. He said, I too look forward to inviting you to my mother's wedding. God damn. <laughs> Later, after they finished doing, uh, after they finished dining, they told the women to leave. It was time for some male bonding, so they gather wine out. Everyone gets wasted, probably drank over a ton. Attalus decides it's time to make a toast to the king and his new queen. And uh, <laughs> this plonker, plonker, as they say in England, uh, wished them to finally create a legitimate heir to the throne. Olibiada was from Epirus, meaning Alexander could be seen as illegitimate. So if his niece got knocked up and produced a boy, seeing that Cleopatra was Macedonian, this baby would be considered a rightful heir to the throne. Alexander hears this and throws a skiffos at his head. Now, a skiffos, I have a link in the description about what it looks like, but just in case you're driving or you're doing or you can't be bothered to click, it's a kind of, it's just a double headed handed uh, wine cup it's quite heavy you know and he screams at him after he throws it and he says do i look like a bastard to you then atlas makes a move then alexander's friends get up then atlas's friends get up you know everything was a bit tense for a while and when they calmed down alexander demanded that atlas uh, be punished by philip for this insult and not only does Philip decline to punish Attalus, he orders Alexander to apologize to him for the projectile. I imagine Alexander probably told him to fuck off or something like that. None of the sources mention this. But what they do mention is that Philip uh, took out his sword and charged Alexander. Philip was absolutely shit-faced and collapses on the floor. Alexander then turns to everyone and says, Here is the man who's getting ready to cross from Europe to Asia, yet is unable to travel from one table to the next. Alexander then decides to split. He leaves in the night. He takes his mummy with him. We've mentioned that he was a mummy's boy. Here's more proof of that. He left Olibiada in Epirus. She had family there to keep her company. He went to Illyria. He probably stayed with his friend Lagaros, king of the Agrianes. He tried to convince him to campaign against Philip. Thankfully, Lagaros wasn't convinced, or it could be Lagaros, actually, because <laughs> it was lagging. No, uh, but it really is with two Gs anyway. Lagaros or Lagaros? I don't know. And Olibiada tried to convince her brother Alexander, also named Alexander, who was put on the throne by Philip, who Justin tells us used to take it up the bum every now and again by Philip to revolt against him. 
Philip, being clever, wants to rekindle this alliance with the uh, with Alexander of uh, Epirus. So he offers his daughter Cleopatra, his daughter from Olympiada, to marry Alexander, her uncle, which is kind of weird. You know, we're talking about straight up incest. But anyway, Alexander Molossan, as he was known, agrees. In the beginning of 336, Philip had a visitor, his friend Dimaratos. Dimaratos may have been the guy to give Vukefalas to Alexander, for whatever that's worth. They sat down and had a chat. At some point, Philip asks if there is peace between the Greeks. And Dimaratos replies, You can't show interest for Greece when your house is riddled with discord and disaster. Small pause, small little, you know, what do you call them? Brackets, whatever. Uh, This does sound like rule six of Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. He says, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. Because as we know, you know, of course, everything is copied by the Greeks, man. It's all Greece. And uh, I don't think he ever actually, I don't think Jordan Peterson ever studied Philip's life. Probably heard it somewhere in passing, but it it does sound very similar, doesn't it? He came to Greece for a talk, and I, uh, and I, of course, went. And someone asked him, Dr. Peterson, I have a simple question. Which is your favorite Greek philosopher? He said, that isn't a simple question. <laughs> Which is a nice way of saying that, you know, I haven't thoroughly studied the Greeks. You know, what are you asking me about? Uh, Philip was taken back at this. He was like, whoa, you know, I guess I have to check out this Jordan Peterson. <laughs> no, he was taken back at this. And he decides to send the Maratos to Alexander, go and talk to my boy and bring him back. He did an amazing job. He actually convinced Alexander to return. We don't know what, what exactly was said, which is a shame. That would make for quite an interesting read. But, you know, how did we get here, guys? You know, on one end, Philip is building statues, honoring Alexander. He even sent him to Athens as the official representative of Macedonia. He hired arguably the greatest mind of humanity as his teacher. And now a third person has to interfere just so he can convince his son to return home. There are many theories about how this shitstorm formed. Perhaps Philip fell madly in love with Cleopatra to such an extent that he wanted nothing to do with his old family. You know, personally, I don't believe this. I doubt he was such a slave to the pussy. <laughs> we, have a, we have a word for this in Greek, monovolos, we say. Uh, another, another wacky story that is heard was that Philip didn't think Alexander was his son. You know, and uh, Olibiada has been hoeing around, apparently. You know, I'm telling you, the kid ain't mine, you know, that kind of thing. According to Justin, Philip had started to spread a rumor that Alexander is not his legitimate son, and that Olibiada was kind of a slut, you know, but I love sluts, you know, <laughs> when I was single. I, you know, I've been married now. I've been with my wife, I should say, for 15 years, 34, so nearly most of my life, so I don't really, you know, but, you know, sluts definitely help me, you know, help me learn about myself, you know, you learn what to look for. So I'm not slut-shaming, you know, don't call me that again. <laughs> again, though, not very believable. Due to the amazing things that he's done, you know, for the little brat, you know, why would the fuck would he, why would he go through all that and then spread a rumor? Perhaps Atalos, oh, this is, you know, this is another theory. Perhaps Atalos and Permenion, who are now, who are now, who have now formed a closer relationship. Atalos had recently married one of Parmenion's daughter, so now these two apparently want to get rid of Alexander. 
and they're kind of, you know, they're conspiring to do all this. Again, not very believable because Philip wouldn't be that easy to deceive, even more so for something as personal, you know, to the heir to his throne. Some say he wanted to leave a new successor to the throne in case he or Alexander died, but, you know, he's already ha- he already has Alexander. Why would he risk it all for a child that hasn't been born yet, you know? But one truly possible explanation is that he actually thought Olibiada and Alexander were conspiring against him. Now, this was completely justified. <laughs> Olibiada encouraged Alexander to think of himself as king and not simply an heir to the throne. This may have pushed him over the edge. And he thought, well, if you're like that, then, you know, fuck off. Fuck you and your son, you know, yeah, piss off. No thanks to the Marathos, though, right? All that's finished. He's come, he's come back. Alexander is coming back to Macedonia. It's all good. Um, but let's have a look at what's happening in Persia. Things were not great, which is good for Philip. Uh, the king of Persia, Artaxerxes III, also known as Ochos, was assassinated by a eunuch, Vagoas. Eunuch being a guy without testes. Vagoas the Ballas, as I think of him. Anyway, he went to assassinate all of Artaxerxes' children, apart from Arsi, who was put on the throne. Arsi wasn't really liked by Vagoas, so even he later on was poisoned, <laughs> making way for Darius, Darius III, also known as Darius the Kodomanos, who is a member of the royal family and had shown his worth by single combat against a great enemy. In 336, Darius figures out that Vagoas isn't really someone you should trust, so he has him poisoned. There's a lot of poisoning going on. Uh, the general of the Persian royal army, Mentor, died. Probably poisoned by Vagos. No, kidding. And uh, Memnon was put in charge. Memnon is going to be Alexander's enemy in the future. The satrap of Caria, Pixodaros, defects, and with him, others take courage and follow suit. Mostly Greek cities in Asia Minor. So it's a bit all over the place. But Philip wasn't rushing to make a move against Persia unless things settled within Greece. There was another interesting story that took place with Pixodorus uh, around 337 to 336. Now, as I've said, he was satrap of Caria, right? The capital was Alicarnaso, today known as Bodrum. He was the youngest of three, son of Mafsolos. Now, I have mentioned Mafsolos in old episodes. He helped some cities revolt against the Athenian alliance. That's the daddy, anyway, of the gentleman we're talking about now. Pixodaros became satrap in 340. In 338, when Artaxerxes was assassinated, he decided enough was enough, fuck the Persians, and was looking to form a, rela- a friendship with Philip. Philip wanted an alliance with Pixodaros because it would allow him to use Caria as a military base when campaigning against the Persians. Pixodaros was an old-fashioned guy. He doesn't want just a simple handshake. He wants a marital bond, a practice that isn't (laughs) completely foreign to Philip. I don't mean him marrying Philip. I mean, he wants to marry his daughter, Ava. Philip says, for you, bro, I have Arivaeus. Arivaeus, I remind you, have had some sort of mental disability. This meant that even though he was older than Alexander, he was never really considered as an heir to the throne. Plutarch, right at the end of his book on Alexander, says, oh, and yeah, there was a rumour that Arivaeus was poisoned by Olibiada. 
And she did this so she could ensure that her future child, because he wasn't born yet, would get, um, would become king. Now, this isn't the worst story about Olibiada. There's worse ones to come. It, but that won't be for a long time. After Alexander died, she did most of her wicked kind of strange stuff. Uh, it should be noted that Plutarch, though, after he said this, uses a regular some say and it's been said, which usually indicates that uh, the sources he was using, he wasn't completely um, sure of them. They weren't his favorites. Anyway, Alexander finds out that Philip is getting his brother ready for marriage and feels left out. He sends an actor friend he had, Thessalos, from Thessaly, to chat with Pixodorus, and he tells him that Alexander would be up for marrying his daughter. Pixodorus was elated. He said, of course, lad, I was okay with the disabled one. I think you might be better. He might have said, probably didn't. I'm not saying, of course, there's anything wrong with, with disabled people, you know, but if you're a satrap starting your own thing, you know, when you pick someone who doesn't have special needs... And also, none of the sources seems to wonder what the daughter thought about this whole thing. Ancient times, man, they were fucked. Anyway, uh, Philip finds out and gets pissed. He cancels the entire deal with Pixodoros and banished Alexander's friends Nerchos, Arpalos, Ptolemy and the brothers Erigio and Laomedon. Philip also asked for Thessalos to be sent to him, adding a special request for his hands to be tied. This guy went to Corinth when he found out about how Philip took the news. You know, I think I would have done the same, to be honest. Philip wants to send a message. Don't meddle in my affairs. According to Plutarch, Philip talked to Alexander. Philotas was in the room, Parmenion's son. He basically tells him, why such an idiot, my boy? Look at all the nice things you have around you. It looks like you are unworthy of such things, seeing that you want to marry a barbaric Carrion's king daughter. In the spring of 336, Philip called for Parmenion, along with 10,000 Macedonian soldiers and mercenaries. General for the Macedonians was Attalus, and for the mercenaries, Amidas. He sends this bunch as a reconnaissance team. They're going to cross the Hellespont and travel south towards a Greek town called Aviva. There's a, uh, the third link will point you in the direction where we're going. It's going to be of Asia Minor, mainly, but that's where they were going. <laughs> he sees, we see that he's put Atlas in the team, right? Atlas being the guy that insulted Alexander. This must have pissed off the young prince. Even more so that there was a rumour going round that he would not take part in the Persian campaign. He would stay in Macedonia and take care of the whole place while dad is gone. This reconnaissance, which imagine if you're Alexander, this will piss you off, right? Anyway, this reconnaissance team has a very important role. First and foremost, it informs the Greeks of Asia Minor that Philip was indeed planning to free them of Persian rule. They obviously were not in Corinth, you know, when everything was being discussed. And also seeing that the treasury was drying up, they might even help with actual funds. This, of course, was always welcome. There's a story about money being in such bad shape that while Philip was at the gym, who was boxing specifically, would be nice to know if he was working pads or <laughs> beating the shit out of some poor lad, some soldiers barge in, barge in and demand their pay. They've seen him 
spent money like mad, right, getting ready for the Persian campaign. And as a result, he's, he's not finding enough cash to pay the lads. He tells him, you know what, you're right, but don't bust my balls at this instance. I'm getting in shape to face the barbarians. When we beat them, I'm going to pay you 10 times what I now owe you. Then he makes a quick move and jumps in the bath with his partner. <laughs> That's what I saw to say. Making you, makes you think, though, what kind of training in air quotes they were doing. The soldiers went on to wait for a while. Thought, all right, well, they'll finish the bath and then they'll come out. But then they got bored and left. <laughs> and uh, back, uh, now back to the soldiers who were in Asia Minor. It's an important distinction to make that this was not the main force that Philip was going to use to attack. Um, they, were, they, were, they were simply going to look at things, right? They were heading towards the north of Asia Minor. Several cities like Ephesus and many islands like Denedo, Lesbos, Chios revolted against the Persians. It's possible these cities also entered the League of Corinth because we see them build statues and temples dedicated to Philip. Eresos, for example, Sapphos, Sapphos' hometown, set up, set up a statue in Artemis's temple. Again, it was to thank him, though, and not just because they considered him their god, as some say. Every town that was liberated also had changes within its style of government. Wherever there were tyrants and Persian oligarchs, they were told to take a hike and beautiful democracies were put up. This Alexander did also, as we will see in the future. Close to Magnesia in Asia Minor, today known as Manisa in Turkish, things were not going well for the Macedonians. The Macedonians and, and mercenaries collide with Memnonas and his 4,000 men. We don't have details about the battle, but we know the Macedonians didn't do well. Even though they had a numerical advantage, they withdrew and waited in Magnesia for Philip. Darius here has a chance to send the navy and try and do some damage against Philip. Could even made him possibly reconsider his whole campaign, but he doesn't. The Theodorus tells us that Darius wants to take the war to Macedonia by helping Philip's enemies within Greece. Plutarch tells us that Darius then ordered his satraps to send money to Demosthenes to propagandize an anti-Philippic movement. Have a listen next time to find out what happened.